Content warning. The Tiger and the Dragon is a 19th century horror pastiche audio drama. It will contain references to colonialism, crime, firearms, the occult, and period-typical racism, misogyny and disabledism. It will not contain any themes of sexual assault, but will contain violence, including mentions of violence against women and unborn children. Please do check the more detailed content warnings in the show notes, and look after yourselves and each other. The Tiger and the Dragon Episode 2 An Unexpected Guest Dearest Jack, I hope you are doing well and that your work is not tiring you too much. I'm sure I must have been boring you lately with the tales of uninteresting society gatherings and I must confess I have been quite bored myself. Thankfully, I have an interesting occurrence to report which quite interrupted my ennui. London is still mourning our beloved Queen, and, as a result, despite the lovely weather, there's been little public gaiety. However, this does not seem to have dampened the spirits of some of my friends. They're still hosting gatherings, although they tend to be of a more sedate nature in deference to the general mood. You may remember, I told you I'd been invited to this little get-together last week at the townhouse of my dear friend Elspeth. Well, whilst I was there, I met a most singular gentleman of whom I shall now write. You must forgive my ageing memory if the details of our conversations are not entirely accurate. I have written down everything I could remember. Gracious, my epistles are turning into quite little novellas, are they not? I had become bored with the chatter and dancing and had gone to the veranda. Elspeth Gardner, a strapping fellow who I have heard being admired by some of the younger ladies, has trailed some lovely scented honeysuckle over the woodwork so it is an excellent out-of-the-way place to sit and take the air. Imagine my surprise when arriving there I found the wooden seat behind the door occupied by the most singular gentleman. Such startling blue eyes, such distinguished whiskers and a deeply lined brow. He looked up as I entered the porch, though I am sure I entered perfectly quietly so as not to be noticed. I wondered if he was some other guest of Elspeth's who had similarly gone out seeking the peaceful scented veranda and asked him so. I have indeed come here seeking peace, ma'am, in a manner of speaking. Ignoring for the moment his cryptic reply, I introduced myself, offering my hand. He looked at it as if it was some sort of wild animal before taking it, grinning and informing me that he was... Colonel Sebastian Moran, formerly of the First Bengal Pioneers. Oddly, he then appeared to be waiting for some sort of reaction from me. At the time, of course, I had no idea who he was... I do not often read the popular press, you see. I prefer to read the medical journals. And the last time the colonel was in said papers was some years ago. But I will come to that presently. After not giving him the response he clearly expected, I informed the colonel that I was delighted to meet him. This seemed to surprise him somewhat, especially when I seated myself beside him and admired the sunset. I'm far too old to care about being alone in the company of a gentleman. 
and I was certainly not going to let his presence ruin my enjoyment of the evening. Nevertheless, I will prevail upon you not to tell your father, who would be insufferable about it. We passed a few moments in silence, entirely comfortable on my part, but evidently not on his, for he seemed restless, and presently he spoke again. He informed me that I had chosen... A most inopportune time and place to take the air, for I am certainly no person with whom a respectable lady should be conversing. There is no need for you to attempt to intimidate me, Colonel. You need only ask me to leave you if you find my presence discomforting. Is my name not familiar to you, madam? Or perhaps that of Professor Moriarty? I'm afraid I'm not acquainted with either you or the professor in question. Should I be? <laughs> you must know of Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I have vaguely heard of him. A detective or policeman of some kind. I'm afraid I don't move in legal or military circles, or indeed academic ones. <laughs> I suppose it will not matter at all after tonight. And why is that? Damn your eyes, madam. Your presence here is a great inconvenience to me, and consequently I do not believe I owe you any explanations. I assume it has something to do with the gun you are concealing under your jacket. I am not quite as unobservant as your father maintains. The colonel said something in a foreign language. It may have been Bengali or Hindi, I'm not certain, but it was certainly a swear word. It seemed I had irritated a man with a gun. I must confess, I became quite nervous. At times I do wish I was not quite so impetuous. He cursed some more in English and muttered that he was getting too old and something about wanting his von Herder back from those blasted police wallers, because no one ever spotted that he was carrying it, unlike these blasted great revolvers. I decided I may as well be shot for a sheep as a lamb and inquired. Whoever were you planning to use that gun on, Colonel? A meddling busybody who should have stayed inside at the party. Oh, come now. My target will be arriving any time now, if I'm correct. He's conducting an investigation at this soiree. Undercover. He might even be here already. I usually try to avoid collateral damage, Miss Seward. Messy and troublesome, but if you intend to interfere with my business, I may reassess my priorities. Colonel, I happen to be very well acquainted with the host this evening, and I positively forbid you from shooting anyone in this house. It would be a great embarrassment to my good friend Elspeth. Oh dear. One does say some very silly things when under strain. His rudeness was positively incensing me, as I'm sure you and any respectable person would understand. And I became very rash, I'm sorry to say. Nevertheless, it seems to have been effective, for he sighed and sat back on the bench. No, you are quite right. Insufferably so. I should have gone straight for Holmes the minute I got back to England. I've left it far too long to hunt him out. The cunning, drug-addled, badmash fiend is likely the one laying a trap for me even as I lie in wait for him. Probably some are watching as we speak. Honestly, sir, did you intend to shoot half of London society to get to Mr. Holmes? <laughs> what a good idea. Start with Holmes, and later I continue on to that fat-faced mutton shunt at Lestrade. Work my way through the entire Metropolitan Constabulary. I'm sure you'd be caught directly if you started shooting. And besides, it is far too late now. I have only to scream, and I'm sure people will come running. You shall either have to fire upon me, or give yourself up. I would kill you instantly. But I would have prevented you from murdering anyone else. Ha! <laughs> I had rather not die if I could possibly avoid it, so instead we are at a stalemate. And since Mr. Holmes has not yet appeared to do whatever you expect of him, 
Perhaps you could pass the time until then by telling me the tale of how you came to have such a particular desire to shoot him. I confess, I find myself intrigued, and I enjoy a good story. It gives me something to write about to my nephew. What is it about Mr. Holmes that has caused you to return from India? India? No, I have been in India, Miss Seward. But you said you had recently returned to England. Never mind, you can explain that in the story. And, as an incentive, if I find the story particularly enjoyable, I may allow you to walk away from here, gun and all. And I shall not even inform anyone of your presence here. That is a damned lie, Miss Seward, and you know it. You would go directly to the authorities as soon as I was gone. Ah, but can you be entirely sure of that? You can, of course, attempt to shoot me. Or I can scream and bring everyone running. You are a damnably impudent Mem Zaib, and if you were my wife, I should be advocating for Sutty. That nephew of yours should be keeping you on a much shorter reign. He certainly tries. Well, what is your decision? I must confess, I am hoping to live. He stared at me with those disconcerting blue eyes of his for a little while. I simply smiled sunnily and waited, praying that I would come out of all of this alive. Finally, he sighed and agreed, bemoaning that this was ridiculous anyway, and... By God, I should never have listened to that damn persuasive alley card fellow egging me on. The absolute dashed, blasted, thundering poultry of a stinking garlic dodging... And here, dearest Jack, you probably become as suddenly interested as I was at the time. It could only have been the same person to induce such a streak of swearing as Colonel Moran then painted the air blue with. I interrupted him mid-flow. This Mr. Alucard fellow, is he by any chance a foreign gentleman with a shock of black hair and very little taste in dress? Indeed. If you and he have met, then you certainly do have a propensity for running into dangerous rogues. Not through any fault of my own, I assure you. And this is only two so far, if one excludes the diamond thieves in Tottenham Court Road and the costermonger I accidentally interrupted last week. <laughs> Sounds like you could give Holmes a run for his money. I only got him once, you know. Holmes. Back in 94, but that cocaine-rattled abdicomist got to me first with a Charlie's trick and sent me to college. Do you mind if I have a shrewd, Mum? I must confess, Colonel, your soldier's talk is leaving me quite confounded. A cigar? Not for me, thank you. Good heavens, Th that is foul smelling. <laughs> Burmese. They make him with molasses and anise. <coughs> Pray, continue with your tale. Well, I suppose I should start after Holmes caught me in 94. During the Adair affair. The Tiger and the Dragon is a Cytogram Hair production by Lou Sutcliffe, distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License, and featured Jennifer Noirot as Anna Seward and Lou Sutcliffe as Sebastian Warren. Editing, soundscaping and score was by Lou Sutcliffe, with additional mastering editing by Jem Pauls. This episode used sounds from freesound.org. For full accreditation, content warnings and transcripts, please see the show notes. If you enjoyed this little pastiche, please do leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice, in the Times of London, or beneath the pianoforte in the ballroom. Thank you for listening, and may you have a delightful day and an untroubled night.